Hello and welcome to NGO Solon Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye. My name is Tosca Bruno van Vijfhijken and I'm the founder and principal consultant at Five Oaks Consulting. I have over three decades of experience helping leaders in civil society and philanthropic organizations manage change, invest in cutting-edge leadership development, lead organizational culture change, and strengthen organizational effectiveness. If you are in an international civil society leadership position or are aspiring to grow towards that, this podcast is for you. Good day, everybody. This is Tosca at the podcast NGO Soul and Strategy. And today I am together with Mutoni Murillo and Doris Basler of Oxfam International. And I'm talking with Mutoni and Doris about Oxfam's recent new strategy process for 2020 to 2030. That strategy process was a very ambitious one as a process. And I thought it would be really interesting to talk to Mutoni and Doris about the process and what other leaders can, can learn from that. So Mutoni and Doris, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Tosca. I am delighted and honored. So let me tell our listeners briefly about Mutoni and Doris. Mutoni is the global strategy lead based in Oxfam America here in the U.S., but uh, that task is Oxfam-wide for the whole confederation globally. She is the former senior director for global programs management team, also former regional program director for West Africa, and she pursued her education at the famous London School of Economics and Politics at the University of London and the School for Oriental and African Studies, or SOAS, at that same university. Mutoni also, and I'm particularly delighted to say that, is an alum of the Transnational NGO Leadership Institute at Syracuse University here in the U.S., which I once used to lead. And Doris is the Director for Governance and Strategy at Oxfam International. To me, Doris, by the way, that sounds like a daunting scope for a job. Um, she is also the former director of organizational development and before that of capacity building at Transparency. Transparency International, which is when Doris and I first met. And she had uh, leadership jobs at Amnesty International and the International Red Cross. And I found it interesting, Doris, you also studied at SOAS in London. So, Mutoni, mm -hmm. you have that in common. That's right. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's great. That is so uh, uh, fun. So what is not fun is that obviously we are talking with the two of you during a period of significant duress, uh, both here in the U.S., as we were just discussing before the recording, but also obviously glo globally where many people in the world need the support of NGOs like Oxfam. And there are many highly urgent advocacy agendas that NGOs need to pursue on behalf of people um, in need during the, uh, the pandemic. But at the same time, many NGOs like Oxfam's resources are seriously under pressure and are likely to continue to, to be so for the foreseeable future. Just before the pandemic started, if you will, across the world, Oxfam globally 
approved a new strategy. And our conversation today is going to be about that new global strategy process as a process. So let me start. And either of you, feel free to, to jump in. Oxfam, given that it's a, a large NGO, is used to having fairly extensive and fairly professionalized, if you will, strategy processes. Yet this time around, it was my impression, this time for the 2020 to 2030 strategy, you decided to set your aspirations even higher for the process. Tell me more about why this strategy process had to be different from past ones. So, Tosca, maybe I will get started. I joined Oxfam in, in early 2017. Mm -hmm. And at the time, we actually expected to launch the global strategy process just a couple of months after I joined. But getting into the Ox family, as we call it, and, and, and the, the issues that Oxfam works on and the complexity of Oxfam, I could already sense a very strong commitment that, that Oxfam, of course, had started with the, the 2020 vision that it initiated under the previous strategic plan to really become a different kind of organization, to really, you know, um, building on the exchanges about how the sector is disrupted, how its relevance was at risk, how it mm -hmm. had to rethink the value it adds to those it, it seeks to serve and it works with. That, that desire was very strong and I felt that quite fast. So we actually then realized that despite the fact that the strategic plan that was leading up to 2019 was a strong plan and was very well thought through and, and was a very good tool for Oxfam to work with in that period, mm -hmm. was not necessarily the kind of plan we wanted to go forward with. Mm -hmm. And also just acknowledging, we all talk about the VUCA world, but but really sensing that uncertainty and, and realizing that it was here to stay, quite quickly realizing we will need a framework that provides greater flexibility to the very diverse parts of Oxfam to then work towards it in a way that is relevant to their context wherever they are, mm -hmm. and that nevertheless allows the global organization to create global value add as well, so that we're not just a sum of, at the time, 65 country programs and, and almost 20 national members, but that really we have that relevance wherever we are and whatever mm -hmm. form we are present. Mm -hmm. But we do have something that also enables us to combine that into something that offers value add at the global level as one of the key purposes of an INGO. So just as a process point, so we make sure that our listeners, uh, that this, this episode is as accessible as possible. When you talk about VUCA, can you just explain what that term Sorry, means? Yes. It's okay. Um, so we're very good at acronyms in, in the governmental world. Um, so VUCA is, is commonly known as, as volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So really that, that feeling that you cannot actually pretend to have a plan that the previous Oxfam strategic plan was seven years and you in today's world you cannot plan ahead for seven years um, and particularly not if you yourself are a, a complex kind of things I recently read another um, someone unpacking the, the acronym VUCA in a different world which was more about actually V for example standing for vision or A mm. standing for ambition and and 
that was a nice way also of, of reinterpreting mm-hmm. what, what that could mean. Mm-hmm. So Mitona, let me t- uh, turn to you. Is is so Doris explained the, kind of the context, the external context, as well as the desires of of Oxfam um, to to uh, change in a couple of directions. But what did that mean for the actual process? I I yeah. remember when I saw the 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 um, the description that you did a whole global bottom up uh, consultation process. Is, am I right in thinking that that was a constituent difference or were there other differences that you'd like to point out? Uh, yeah, so the, um, the background to the strategy in, a, in, a, in addition to what Doris um, has, has pointed out about the need to be, uh, for it to be more agile, allowing us to be, um, you know, to, to program in uncertain times is that internally we had already, we had also gone through a whole lot of change. We had come through an organizational change process Mm -hmm. that was really very difficult because it completely changed the way Oxfam was working, the way we related to each other, the way affiliates and countries talked, I mean, worked together. Staff themselves went through a lot of changes, yeah. changes in structure at the country level, their jobs changed, etc. And then uh, on top of it, we had um, a, 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 a internal crisis that everybody's aware of mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, with the, in the with, events that happened in Haiti a while back. And so the trust level in the Confederation, in addition to the change, the exhaustion from the the change process uh, was such that, um, and you know, I give Doris and her team a lot of credit that um, a new strategy process that was going to, uh, that we wanted people to, that was going to be the thing that we held up into the future that would have buy-in had to be done very differently. Okay. Because we had a trust deficit. Um, people didn't really, there was, there was so many things happening that every time we said we want to do something globally, everybody stiffened up and wondered, is this what they're really talking about? Or is there something different? Is there another agenda? And so the process had to do a number of things. The first, it had to be, we had to build trust. And for that, um, it, it, uh, it didn't reinvent the wheel. We just unpacked uh, the values that we have as Oxfam. So uh, inclusiveness, people didn't trust that it would really be inclusive. Mm. Uh, The last strategy was written at the global level and then socialized, right? And people just sort of duck and hope that you don't notice them and they continue doing their own thing. (laughs) It had to be truly inclusive. and, And as we talk, we will talk about, you know, that inclusive is 
actually a job. It's a verb that you do. You have to actually do it. Mm. Uh, it we have to be accountable. Accountability is another value. And accountable, not just internally, but externally to our, pa- uh, our partners. And it also had to be empowering because alongside uh, this process was internal work that we were already doing on our internal culture. Mm-hmm. And so, and we had already started talking about people's voice and people being heard yeah. and people being involved in decision-making. Right. That's a conversation that was already going on. So we, the, 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 the value of empowerment had to be an integ- integral part of this process. So inclusive, accountable, and empowering. So Those are the three that we we three values that we unpacked, uh, okay. and they were the ones that we were trying to live by. And now I want to make it really tactile. So tell me what were the different process elements, and what do you think was distinct or more ambitious? And then, of course, afterwards we'll talk with the two of you about what worked out, what worked out, and what didn't work out so well, or what has proven to be most valuable. So tell me more, Mutoni, about steps in the process. Because I know you also did scenario planning, which is quite common, yes. right? But you did a very ambitious one. I noticed these vignettes, you know, yes. when Doris so told... Yeah, go so ahead. So the vignettes, the vignettes, uh, and actually Doris has background to... Uh, Doris has given the background on why we chose scenario planning, uh, forecasting, because it's about being... It's about how do you show up in these uncertain times. Typically, scenario planning, you choose a group at the global level. They do all the work, the trends analysis. They do the scenarios, test them out. And then they say to the organization, these are the scenarios, right? Uh But it was not going to be, we determined very early on um, that it was not going to be possible to do that sort of exercise. It had to be done differently, especially if we were going to uh, include, use those values. And so it had to be a process that was accessible to everybody, every step of the way. And we adopted something that we called radical transparency, which meant that every part of the process was uh, announced, you could see how the process happened and you could see all the data that came out of the process and you could see how we reached the conclusions that we reached. So you mentioned scenarios, um, but before that, I, I want Doris actually to talk about what informed the scenario process, which was a process where we asked people what do you think are the fundamentals that make Oxfam Oxfam and what should we keep and what should we, um, and, and, and what are the things that should change? Doris, on the fundamentals? Yeah, thanks, Muthoni. So we, we did actually start with this more internal reflection uh, about what we referenced as, as organizational fundamentals, which... Hmm. Um, had at its core vision, mission, values of Oxfam, but we also looked at role and identity. 
And again, Oxfam being a very diverse global network, which has some national member organizations. It has what we refer to as country programs, where then organized in regions, and then there is the secretariat. There is the common vision and mission as expressed in the previous strategic plan, but but we actually wanted to test. You don't change vision and mission with every strategic period, but but we nevertheless wanted to test how much they are still anchored within Ah. you know the different parts of Oxfam and so we started with this more internal reflection and then seized the opportunity to also um, probe a little bit on on what we often refer to as the strategic pillars of Oxfam gender justice as a very important commitment Um, that that commitment to working across humanitarian development and influencing as we seek to be an increasingly influencing organization and and that was also the first time really to test that that inclusiveness and, mm-hmm. and how to make it happen. Because a lot of this we, we tried and indeed some things worked, others less. Um, and we were learning by doing along the, the entire process. So this was a digital exercise, a survey of all staff in the movement. Um, okay. What we often refer to as the 10,000. Just yeah. no matter where you work in Oxfam, you know, we we just said the 10,000 meant all of Oxfam. Anyone can participate. It doesn't matter yeah. who you are, where you sit, what you do. And we, we got actually a surprisingly high level of engagement of mm-hmm. some 1,300 staff participating, um, mm-hmm. which for a digital survey, we all get so many of them, right? Yeah. Um, so that, that was actually encouraging. And even more encouraging was that we did manage to reach particularly staff in countries and regions who are often the first ones to, to feel disconnected from what we're <laughs> doing as a global confederation because their yeah. local context is more relevant. And, and we got particularly high responses, for example, from the Africa region, which is where we have our largest program footprint as well. So that, that was quite encouraging. And it showed, it started showing us some, some key messages that were emerging um, mm-hmm overall validating these fundamentals, but also already thinking ahead to where we could maybe um, make some improvements or adjustments to better reflect the Oxfam that we want to be. So that was indeed the first step. And then from there, the next big step was this transformative scenario process, mm-hmm. um, which was very much a learning by doing, I think, for Oxfam. It had happened in pockets of the organization, like in the Asia region, but this, as you said, Tosca, this very ambitious approach and, again, trying to constantly move between the local and the global. And we literally mm. referenced it as a roller coaster in that sense as well. So not, just, not just doing it the traditional way, but, but saying, no, again, we want this to be locally rooted. So anyone was invited to just get together in whatever team they wanted mm. to say, you know, just, you know, build a story about the future, not a full scenario that would have taken too long, etc. But, but that's what we then ended up referring to as vignettes. So short stories about the future from where you sit, you know, what, what do you think it will look like? And we were very strict in that phase after that initial internal reflection to say, this is outside in. This is, you're not allowed to talk about Oxfam. All right. This Which is, is really hard. Thinking about, it's very yeah, hard, especially for a, a beautifully complex and diverse and and rich in experience organizations such as Oxfam but it was really it was like you're not allowed to talk about Oxfam it's about the world right we want to be relevant in you know how we think the world could look like and 
And Muthoni had earlier referenced, you know, how important that process and that trust building, you know, and that trying to do things differently was, particularly at that time in, in Oxfam's life. And, um, and I would say with hindsight, Muthoni, I don't know if you agree, that that transformative scenario process, I mean, it was massive. It was big, hairy and audacious. Um, and yet it was so much fun for so many of the colleagues. And, and yeah. they really actually enjoyed that. And we ended up with 250 plus of these short stories, really from all wow. over, you know, regions, functional teams. Um, you know, we had digital workshop. Again, we couldn't bring all these people together, right? So some were able to meet just in their country office. Others connect digitally. We have wonderful, you know, pictures of, of what this all looked like. And, and it was really amazing. Um, so that, that organization of fundamentals, a bit of like pausing before we go and, and reflecting, then launching that very big, hairy, and audacious transformative scenario process, um, doing some, some meta trend analysis on the side, but not trying to do any original piece because there's yeah. so much out there already so we work yeah. with what we could find but again not only what we could find from you know the three four five global outlets that are very well known for doing this kind of global trends analysis but yeah. actually again asking our colleagues in the region saying like you've all developed country and regional strategies over the last five years or so you know mm -hmm. do you have any that that are recent enough to still be considered relevant share them with us and and that then also was really the point where um, along the process, if I can highlight that, um, we, you know, then, then you constantly actually triangulate the data almost. So you have data from that organization of fundamentals. You have data, for the lack of a better word, from the transformative scenarios. You have data points from the global trends analysis. And it was really quite fascinating to see, again, for me, how that red thread started developing and mm. how the same, you know, themes and what was important to to staff came up and, and how staff thought Oxfam could make a difference in in the future and that then all led into um you know a very fascinating global forum where, where external participants played a, an absolutely vital role and then and then up into the development of the of the process so i'm sure we'll talk about some of this a bit more but i also do not want to go amiss, we have to mention that one of the first steps that the board agreed to, and that again was reflective of that approach of not wanting it to be top down, take your five usual senior suspects, you know, and they cook something and then they, you know, consult a bit on it. But um, the, the board actually allowed us to put together a global strategy development team that then Muthoni mm -hmm. was leading, which again, we, we called it cross regional, cross functional and cross-hierarchical. So it was very much from the middle of the organization, um, very different profiles, personally, professionally, and to all dedicated part of their time. So this was not a full-time team of 12 people, but mm -hmm. each dedicating time. And again, with hindsight, you know, that, that was one of the most amazing experiences. It, it, you know, it gave us insights that we would have never had otherwise. It managed us, it allowed us to reach parts of the organization that we would have never been able to reach otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, it gave these colleagues an opportunity, hopefully, to also develop by, by being exposed, you know, yeah. to both horizontally and vertically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, mm -hmm. and, and that was most amazing. And it would not have been possible to do all this and to, to manage that huge amount of, of information and data yeah. if we hadn't had that resource. Right. So <laughs> then asking both of you, maybe starting with Mutoni, very ambitious process, some elements that were clearly uh, new and innovative for Oxfam. 
which of these process elements, especially the newer process elements, were not only innovative but also useful in the end for yeah. where Oxfam stands now and the world it is in. And of course, you could not know that at the very moment when your board approved the strategy, we were entering this huge yeah. disruptive phase with the pandemic, etc. But what was not just innovative but also useful? Yeah, so I'll underline a couple of things. Um, the team that Doris just talked about was critical in terms of building trust because the process that was used was nomination hmm. and the uh, Oxfam, Doris's team did an amazing job of getting all these nominations and, uh, you know, had a process. So staff saw themselves in this team because they had the, you can't, you can't uh, stress enough how important it is to build trust. And every single action that you do is part of that building trust. You don't put a team together and then say, trust us. Mm -hmm. You actually have to, in the process of putting the team together, you have to involve people from the very beginning. Um, so uh, putting the team together was important because then people saw themselves in the team. It was somebody from their region. It was somebody from an affiliate. It was somebody that they knew from this process. Right. So that was really important. The other important thing from the, uh, from the scenario the vignette process uh, was that it freed the fact that we said to people, we're not asking you to make a case for your survival in the future strategy. Right. So we're not talking about what Oxfam's strengths are and weaknesses and what's going on with our culture. We actually want to free you to think 10 years out what do you see happening in your context? Because in order to know whether we will be relevant, we need you to, to tell us what you're seeing. And we asked them to work to ask their partners. We also did interviews of people who had nothing to do with the sector. You know, so, so freeing people to actually show up uh, in a in a different way was really important and Doris said it in the end people really enjoyed it they didn't have we had a whole uh, tool set for them this is how you start the meeting this is how you run it and these are the exercises that you do in the end people had a lot of fun with it because mm. they were free now to imagine what is really important is that they also felt free to express themselves and talk about what they were really seeing. It didn't have to be something that Oxfam was, was, uh, was working on. Mm. And that's how we ended with digital rights mm. as the new human rights frontier that we have to pay atten attention to. It yes. came up very clearly because when they stop and thought, what are the things that are going to affect us in my context? It didn't matter whether you were in the Solomon Islands or in Niger or in Pakistan. 
we saw what what Doris is calling the red thread coming through. And so, for example, there were things that Oxfam wasn't working on, right. working in urban areas that came out. And so when we talk about the bottom up, this is what we're talking about. The fact that we have now in the framework areas that Oxfam was not working on. Experts somewhere didn't imagine it. This was crowdsourced right, uh, right. from across the confederation. Then the other thing I want to stress is in terms of the process and something that um, that, that was very important. Um, some, you know, Doris talked about the fact that in usually you get leadership or policy advisors to get together and bring their expertise, right? We also had to take care of that constituency. Right. And so the way we did it is um, in the, um, with uh, Doris talked about gathering information from all the analysis that in the trends analysis, um, people were very uncomfortable because they were like, I'm a leader. I just ran this whole trends analysis and strategy. And now you're telling me that there's another strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you have to get the leadership. First of all, it was genuinely saying we don't want a skewed trends analysis that's only looking at all the, the usual OECD uh, outputs. We want something that reflects what's happening in Asia, in the Pacific, etc. But it also validated the work that the leadership had done. Mm. We also included them in the interviews that we did with thought leaders. So each one of them got to interview two or three thought leaders. We had the interview questions prepared. We had a way for them to feedback. And then uh, for our experts, we had them, um, once we had the trends analysis done, we had a couple of experts also look and feed in. You need to pay attention to them as well, because at the end of the day, um, yeah. They're, they're important drivers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, Doris, I'm, I'm not pivoting, but I'm moving on to my next focus. And that is that, you know, um, strategy experts in academia and in the business literature would say that at very least two things are really important in any organizational strategy. One is that the strategy really has to clarify what is Oxfam's distinct and unique core competency? And two, that a strategy lead needs to lead to real choices. Hmm. Did, did this strategy succeed in those two regards? <laughs> I think it provides a basis for us to do it. Again, it, it is a strategic framework. We did get quite a few questions in the last phase of the process, which was also the process where our international boards came back in. And I mm-hmm. want to commend the boards in terms of being courageous, taking risk, trusting the 10,000 by mm. giving the strategy team a mandate at the start of the process, of course, receiving regular updates, but staying out of the kitchen mm. and coming back in when it was their time to come back in, when it was into the writing, into the actual working to the document. Nevertheless, there were questions then about 
this doesn't say enough about what we will be doing. Or you had certain constituencies that basically then got a bit anxious about, does it say enough about, you know, and, and will it allow our part of the organization to, to thrive? Yeah. Um, and the, the rationale of this being a framework that, again, is, is there to, on the one hand, express clearly the common core and what is holding Oxfam together. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, allowing for that flexibility, um, you know, was, was helpful. And without wanting to go into the content of, of the framework, it, it does speak to certain thematic choices, but in a very interconnected way, in a, in a transformative system change way, but also more importantly, even it speaks to how Oxfam wants to work. And that, again, was a unifying dialogue throughout the strategy process. And that helped, you know, engage with some of the issues that had been, you know, raised in the years before. So this strategy will not give you a, a lock frame. It will not give you the, um, you know, we, had, we don't have global targets. We, we're less specific in that sense than the last strategic plan was. I see. Um, and yet it, it uses this how we want to show up as Oxfam as a very strong, actually having become part of our core competency, if you want. So we know that we're strong in humanitarian, particularly on water sanitation, hygiene. We, we do know that. And, and we do know that we have already shifted the needle in terms of the discussion on inequality and inequalities. And we are very well recognized for our work on gender justice. So we felt that actually needed less emphasis on the framework, but it's really about, you know, what's holding us together also in terms of how we work and is actually our core competency that, you know, we will have a multidimensional approach to inequality. We will apply a feminist lens to all our analysis and all our action and, and trying to be feminist in all, all we do. Mm. Um, we, we do want to really partner not only more, but, but different and better in particular with young people Mm-hmm. There again, you have pockets of pockets of excellence in Oxfam, but it's not mm-hmm. necessarily you wouldn't you wouldn't youth activists wouldn't recognize Oxfam globally as a as a youth led organization. So how can we emphasize that? And as Muthoni added, um, you know, led by by young, by feminist, and by social justice activists and, and mm-hmm. movements. So the choices part part of the whole process idea was always that we will develop this framework. And then building on it, again, accepting that we only have visibility for a period that is much shorter than 10 years to develop what we refer to as horizon plans at the back of the framework, if you want. And that uses okay. some elements of the, of the horizon planning that, that's quite well known as an internal change tool as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, to think about, you know, if this is our 10-year ambition and the framework speaks about our ambition in the different areas how do we how do we start our journey towards that ambition and that does include you know these exchanges about what what do we want to hold on to what do we want to to carry with us um what do we actually realize it has been very important and served as well in the past but yeah if we want to move on we need to let go of some things as well and then where are really those pockets of the future where we say we want to invest and yeah but currently um we have put that slightly on hold. So the, the framework was approved at the end of March. As you said, rightly, um, COVID was in, in full swing by then, or it, the, all the, the, the curves were still going up and not yet flat. 
So there is a lot of, of energy in the current Oxfam system to, to grapple with all the implications of that, be it actually delivering humanitarian response, be it readjusting programs, you know, to make sure that they can re remain relevant in a context that's now very much marked by COVID wherever you are in this world. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, to, to not lose that forward thinking element. So we haven't started that formal horizon planning process yet, but we're running a whole series of conversations again with staff, trying to, to safeguard the outside in thinking and to test specific components of the framework. Mm -hmm. Are they still relevant? Do we think the post-COVID world has shifted in a way that maybe the thinking, even if it's only a few months old, you know, how we will go about implementation will will have to to change but but okay. of course the, the 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 what you said at the beginning tosca um, oxfam like so many others in the sector we are impacted financially um, by the covid crisis we had to um, reduce our face-to-face -face fundraising we had to cancel some fundraising events that, yeah. that are otherwise very useful um, some of our national member organizations do run trading networks and shops and they they obviously had to close so we, we are impacted and um we we have to make some difficult choices much faster than we would have liked having been on a journey of becoming a different kind of organizations but but the financial impact brutally accelerating you know what, what yeah. otherwise we would have liked to be a uh, not necessarily a different process but we would have liked to, to do the process differently so the the real choices have come to us harder and faster in, in some yeah. ways yeah but we're also very much holding on to the strategic choices you know we we're still we want to make them as informed by the global strategic framework as possible got it yeah the interesting yeah. thing Tosca mm -hmm. is that um uh spoke about how the the crowdsourcing uh uh, led us to a place where we might not have landed had we used the traditional SWOT analysis and decided to just do what we are good at. Mm. Um, so when we looked at the scenarios, we ended up with five global scenarios. When we looked at the scenarios, as we were negotiating uh, hard with the board on, you know, what the final framework would look like, some of the scenarios that we had looked at, it was, <laughs> there's one session where Doris just put the slide up of a summary of one of the scenarios. What did it have in it? They said, in the event of a pandemic, uh, there will be, uh, you know, some governments that will use more authoritarian approaches to, to close down space the internet will become really important and access to the internet will be a deciding factor. And part of what came out of the scenario processes is that the internet should now be treated as a public good. Yes. And, and it should be managed and, and uh, managed like a public good, just like water, and yeah. you know, health, etc. Uh, and we were having this conversation as everybody is stuck at home. There's a pandemic. Some people can't get online because they don't have access to the internet, so they can't contribute. Uh, children are at home and not in school, so all these things came together yeah. to to really underline the uncertainty 
of the time that that we are that we are we're we're living with yeah and um and the other thing i wanted to add is that the 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 what has in terms of change and choices some of the things are uh we we used to say work with young people we used to say we use a lot but we made a in the same way that we privileged listening and working and starting with the 10,000, we also listened very closely to what was coming out in terms of uh, that Oxfam needs to work more with movements that has an that has a direct impact on how we work, how we use funds, and uh, youth uh, was such a strong signal that we had to set up a separate process a separate project that actually went out and talked to a lot of young people, I think uh, around the world. Um, it was a six month project and who have come back with recommendations on how Oxfam can work better with youth that was then uh, presented to the board and will go into the horizon planning. So there are some choices that have already been made that will have a direct impact on how Oxfam works over the next uh, decade. I see. That's interesting. And also, uh, in a way, reassuring to me, I will say, based on what Doris in a previous conversation had told me about the outlines of the new strategic framework, made me at that time a little bit worried that um, the, the, the new strategy would not necessarily visualize for staff and for partners um, how Oxfam will look and behave and program and act differently five or ten years from now. And if we don't provide that operationalization, that visualization about how we will actually look and be different, it's hard for staff all over the world to visualize what this strategy actually um, means for them. And uh, now I understand better that this is still at the framework level and that you expect that those horizon plans will provide more amongst others, not only, but of the yes. organization. Is that a fair yeah. expectation? Yeah. And I the would agree with you. Gives you a direction. And the, the framework gives you a direction. And, you know, we, we agreed that together we've said okay here are four systems that we think we can influence in the future mm. accepting that these are systems they show up differently depending on where you are geographically what's the economic makeup the political makeup that's just realistic mm -hmm. here so there's a it, it's a clear direction the the horizon plans are the opportunity for us to decide which are the things we're going to continue right what are we going to drop and what do we need to pick up because of the context? And as Doris said, we, we, we have an ambition over 10 years, but in the next three years, what are the changes that need to happen? And, and to a certain extent, they will also be uh, sensitive to the context in which we are uh, programming. Doris? Right. Doris? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to, to build on that and then reacting, Tosca, what you said. I, I, I 
do agree. And yet I think also that, again, the, the, the process, messy as it sometimes was, you know, with many yeah. mistakes made, but but again, that wonderful team that enabled us to reach out and, and I mean, we could probably speak for, for an hour just about that team, you know, the, the different cultures that they came from, you know, the, the different regions, different languages. I mean, I really think the effort that we put in communication. So we yeah. had, you know, we had a, a, a digital forum where basically anyone you know and and it's one of the biggest digital forums i think in in the global oxfam network and and yeah. you know we just kept that really alive muthoni did with weekly just you know two three minute videos like telling people what's happening um whenever there was something bigger to share we we did webinars and basically we offered them in in several languages because we had you know different languages in the team there were monthly bulletins which again just also allowed people to catch up wherever it was in the process you know they could basically just look at oh I've missed the first six months, but if I just read these 10 pages, you know, actually mm -hmm. I will get a neat summary and I can then go deeper as I want. So, so all of that really meant that, you know, we yeah. are, we are reasonably confident while it's not a perfect product, but that this framework has a lot of ownership across different parts of the organization. Yeah. And that we also want to, to keep that in going forward with the horizon planning so that people can still feel, um, this this actually this process you know continues to add value to where i am in the organization but mm -hmm. at the same time while it adds value to to where i am that will add value to the global effort so you know really not being extractive and saying you just contribute to something at the global yeah yeah but it the the, the first imperative was it has to be meaningful for where you are because if it adds value to where you are then automatically it will add value to the global. And, and we hope to carry that forward. And and sometimes it is then really also, you know, sometimes now with Sonia, I have moments where I think, thanks God we didn't go into more detail of what it is that we will be doing because half of it might not be out of the window, right? True. After, <laughs> after what we're living or, or in what yeah. we're living. So I'm like, this yeah. framework actually gives us, and as Muthoni said, that, that yeah. extract from a scenario, I almost think that that's what got it, over the, the approval line because it had written it had COVID written all yeah. over it in terms of you know how climate change might contribute to pandemics and then what will happen and how will people react everything and what's the impact on women and on marginalized people yeah, I mean, it was bizarre just that, having that on one slide it was really for me a light bulb moment thinking you know again not perfect you know this is not not everyone is happy with everyone that everything that's in of this course. framework which probably would have made it you know, would have shown us as, as one of, you know, the persons who accompanied us, you know, would have said that you did something wrong. If, if you have pro something at the end, everyone is completely happy with, uh, yeah. you probably got something wrong. So, <laughs> right, so right. This, this willingness also to take some risk and, and quite frankly, um, sometimes and, and hopefully going forward, the willingness of, of those of us who are referenced as the, the leadership of the organization to be ready to step out of the way yeah. and, and just let others, you know, bring yeah. the energy and, and do the best they can. And right. then you work with that as, right. again, as a global network. So let me ask you the last kind of a short answer to um, the last follow-up to this is I have heard leaders of major NGOs say that um, um, their strategy processes up till the moment when their national uh, international board or assembly went through discussions on the draft was quite consultative. But then, as they would tell me, it goes into the sausage machine and what comes out at the other end is 
very opaque uh, in terms of why certain things were chosen and not others. And what comes out, people don't necessarily recognize. And they certainly were not clear the criteria based on which leadership in positional power took this decision. Mm-hmm. Would you say, with the process that you've just described, that the chances that this could happen were less so in, in Oxfam this time around? Yeah, I'll start and allow okay. Doris to go last. <laughs> So we set out to do, remember the radical transparency? Yeah. So this is important for any organization. It doesn't matter whether you're 10 people or 10,000. And why is it important? One, the, the, the feedback that we got was that this is the most inclusive process across the board. The most inclusive process Oxfam staff inclusive global process that Oxfam staff have ever gone through because we privileged getting opinions from the Mm 10,000, being very transparent at every part of the, every step. Uh, We had been charged to be bold and we had given people uh, permission to come back to us and tell us what needs to happen. And what came back was a lot of different things and more, a lot more political mm. than we, we, we typically are. And so we, that transparency, the fact that uh, along the way people saw it developing and each part, they could see what has happened, what has come out. It puts a lot of pressure on the board. Yes. To be uh, faithful to the process Mm -hmm. that had brought us to this point. Uh, And so you got two things. You got, uh, Doris talked about buy-in. So people felt included. Even the ones who didn't come to any of these, they were reading, etc. They contributed to to the scenarios. They told us what the implications of the scenarios were. They saw who went to the global forum that had 50% external participation. Uh, we went through about 11 drafts of the framework. And along the way, they saw some of the drafts. It had about 100 people comment, some external, some internal. So they all knew somebody who, and each of those could be explained. So by the time the framework was getting to the board, They had had an opportunity to engage, even if it's in a peripheral, one, because they were informed, and two, because they were commenting and their teams and their senior staff were commenting. Um, And it was still dicey to get it over the last hurdle. Mm. Uh, But Doris can talk about, and first of all, I will commend her, brilliant diplomacy, but she can talk about uh, the, 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 the importance of not letting the process down at that last moment. So if there was any sausage making to be done, we would have had to explain exactly what happened so that people can, because they, they were now used to it. And we want this to be the culture that we have, that some of these global processes become more transparent and accessible, mm. irrespective of where you sit in the organization. Mm. Doris? 
Yeah, I think you've said most. I think, of course, the politics kick in at different yeah. points in the process. And I would say that that is not only the, the board or senior leadership politics, no. but throughout the process, different constituencies within the global yes. organization. And, and you can see that, of course, as Muthoni said earlier, um, we needed the experts, in inverted commas, I always say, um, yeah. to, you know, if we explore climate justice, don't ask me, right? I, I can't develop that content. Um, so, so you go and, and you bring the people who can. And yet then an expert, in inverted commas, will always have that risk of the curse of knowledge or of basically already having invested X years of their lives, you know, mm. to, to develop a certain approach or a certain, you know, and, and to, to remove themselves from it. But again, we, we try to balance that by basically, you know, bringing people from different functions, different parts of the organization in absolutely every discussion. So you would mm -hmm. not have just a climate justice team go away and come back with this is the climate justice section of the framework. Mm. Everything was participatory. And and again, given that we had so many different data points, you know, constantly cross-validated at the forum had almost 50% of the global forum participants coming from the outside of the organization mm -hmm. um, and challenging us actually quite, quite importantly in that moment. Um, so yes, the politics kick in, um, but also everyone basically wanting i think what, what i realized at the end everyone wanted to really be part of the implementation of that framework mm -hmm. and yes you know then some parts of the organization felt challenged by parts of the framework saying i will this this might be difficult for where i'm sitting to, to really yeah. do that yeah but also that's again the diversity of, of oxfam that even even with the framework that we now have and even with the final approval by the the two global boards that we have you will have some who say this is too political in the language mm -hmm. that it uses or in the, you know, what it aims to achieve. And then someone else sitting on that same board will say, it's by far not political enough where I am. And actually yeah. my partners will challenge us because they say Oxum hasn't gone far enough. And for others, they will say, oh, we will really have to have some, some explaining to do or, or tailor that with our own products and etc yeah. but but where Muthoni and I and the team and and with the support again you know of some of the key key global leaders where we really said we cannot compromise is the integrity of the process yeah mm -hmm. we said we cannot you know we have chosen an approach that try to be as participatory and inclusive as possible we completely accept that you know this went through iterations etc but where we really fought like lions, I would say, was that, that we said we cannot compromise the integrity of the process. And if indeed yeah. the board would have had, you know, decided to, to make some fundamental change, we also said then, then you know, there is accountability towards all those who contributed yes, to the process that we have to, to hold up. And, and I would say in terms of the, that, that final approval and even through most of the, the drafting stages, I think, Muthonia, like yeah. what went in, came out not looking exactly the same but the systems you know there was we, we ended up with the four systems that, that and we could explain it all. um the ways yeah. of working you know there was improvement but again we you know the the values you know i mean it, so so i think yeah. that that integrity of the process really made it what it is now wow yeah that is a very good last sentence, <laughs> Doris. That's a perfect setup for me to start bringing this interview to a close. So let me ask the two of you, Mitoni first, if people want to learn more about the two of you, since you are 
ultimate strategy process experts. And I have to say, indeed, this does strike me as an extremely both ambitious and um, intentional strategy process that is uh, that other NGOs definitely um, ought to be interested to look at. Um, but Tony, about you, if people want to learn more about you individually, where should they go? Well, um, in the public forum, there's always LinkedIn. Okay. And uh, they can follow me on Twitter. Okay, good. <laughs> then we will put those two um, links in the show notes. Dora, okay. same question for you. Yeah, same. I can be found on, on LinkedIn. I am on Twitter, but don't try and follow me because all I do is reposting tweets from other people. <laughs> okay. I'm happy to be contacted by, by email as well through my, my Oxfam email address. Um, okay. So if I'd you allow us, then, then, then we will we'll do that. But let me uh, finish this interview also by saying the strategy framework of Oxfam International is not yet public. So um, the public and our listeners will have to wait till Oxfam has put that in the public domain. Well, thank you, Matoni and Doris, very much for this very insightful conversation. Um, I found it very um, inspiring. It is, of course, not a strategy process that NGOs of any size can necessarily aspire to. Um, but there are many things we all can learn uh, from it. And I, I definitely commend you for the fact that you had such clearly values-based processes and that you defended the integrity, as you said at the end, so, so vigorously. Thank you for your insights. And thank you, listeners. This is Tosca, and I look forward to spending time with you on NGO Soul and Strategy next time. Thanks for listening to NGO Soul and Strategy. If you want to learn more, have a look at my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org, where you will find posts on topics related to what we discussed today. That's five, as in the number five, oaksconsulting.org. You can also find free white papers there, recordings of interviews with me, as well as information about the upcoming book Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs, of which I'm a co-author, and which will be published in June 2020. Or feel free to email me at tosca at fiveoaksconsulting.org and follow me on my social media channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And be sure to leave a review on iTunes or any of the places where you get your podcasts so that others can find it too. So, until we talk again, this is Tosca at NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for leaders who look change right in the eye.